This year is your year, even if you also said that in 2022. And however you want to make a splash, Mother Nature can help you every step of the way with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Wool Runner Mizzles are shoes made from premium, supernatural, weather-repellent materials. So you can jump into this year with both feet, rain or shine. The high-top uppers are made from temperature-regulating, moisture-wicking merino wool treated with durable puddle guard technology to keep you dry and comfy. And you can take confident strides with supernatural rubber treads that grip for all-conditioned traction and sugarcane-based sweet foam midsoles that put a little bounce in each step. Allbirds is constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their earth-friendly materials. So even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, make a splash without worrying about getting your feet wet with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Discover your perfect pair at allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. No, any, I mean, obviously, well, yeah, well, Meridian well, do, do what, a, quite a lot of conventions in Montreal. And... Yes, I do know that. And uh, one of your bands, record, was it Edison's Children that recorded children. something? Edison's Children, where we recorded up in up Montreal. In this, one of the ski um, areas. Yeah, so 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 Montreal and Marillion is is you know, we, and of course you know with oh, Mike yeah. Portnoy, the Dream Theater in Montreal is is you know it's yeah for some reason and I, I've never understood this. Montreal loves progressive rock. They just yeah. You look at does. Super Tramp. You look at Marillion. You look at um, think, I'm, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think um, Quebec as well, but Montreal definitely really well, embrace it. I yeah. think it's the it's a it's it's um it's a it's a kind of European thing, and the whole of the Eastern Seaboard seem to like it actually. Yeah, and 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 it's just you know, it's been it, traditional it, for it, forty yeah. years. It's just Montreal and or Quebec. The the whole province loves this stuff, but yeah, it does, it does, it does. Uh, well, okay. And what a what a city you have, man! You have a great city. Oh, it, it is a. Fa- I mean, listen. R- right now, it's under lockdown and all the whole stuff. But when it's up and kicking. It's oh, a yeah. vibrant, vibrant city, and and if you've ever been here in the uh, in the summer, yeah, the jazz fest yeah. and the film fest and the just for laughs, it's it's just and the food. But <laughs> we shall see how yeah. this pans out for twenty twenty one. But let let us get started. And and folks, we are talking to a Pete from Transatlantic. Uh, let's get started with this in terms of the absolute universe. Now the, the concept here, I'm I'm. I don't want to say I'm confused. I get it, but I, I'd, I'd rather have you further explain it. You've got one album that's two albums, or two albums that's one album. So there's the abridged version, and there's the extended version, and there's different covers for both. And by the way, I love the artwork on both of them, especially the purple one. Um, yeah. Ex- ex- explain. Is it is it three albums? Is it two albums? Is it one album? Please. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it is quite a thing to get your head around. I mean, even we had you know we had to get our heads around it and then the record company as well so so basically we went to sweden um with a lot of stuff written pre-written by myself neil and Reiner, with the idea of doing an album and we kind of decided at the time that you know we wanted to work episodically we wanted to have a a continuous piece of music much like the whirlwind um and um so we set about doing that and um, we came up with all this amazing music. And, you know, we, we, we come alive in the studio when the four of us are together. We have that, that thing where there's always, there's always good stuff going on. 
and because we already had music written you know it was it was coming on really really well and um we kind of rather than deciding at some point to stop and start recording we decided to spend the whole time arranging and uh, and demoing the, the thing so we came away with basically what ended up becoming forevermore the extended version and that ended up being about like 80 minutes 90 minutes maybe at a push and at the time there was a, I was always con- I was already concerned about the length of it I was think I was saying are we sure that you know we want to spend you know are we, are we, would it would it benefit I thought it might benefit in certain areas of being edited a, a little bit to kind of cut to the chase here and there but we decided to kind of go with the flow and that's what we did. And then we came back and um, Mike recorded the drums in December. I was on tour with Marillion. When I got around to working on it and when uh, when Royna got around to working on it as well, um, COVID had started and, and we were kind of in lockdown. And then, you know, we, we, all, we all had various agendas. We all had various things that we had to do uh, with our time as well as this album and um, it, it, it became apparent while people were sending files around that rather than all working towards one greater good we were kind of drifting away you know Royner was doing stuff and he was working on really cool ideas of, of what kind of became his version of the album if you like and Neil was doing the same he'd rewritten lyrics um, at one time he was saying well you know I'm, I'm 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 going to want to rewrite the lyrics because what we're going through this year, which was at this point was 2020, you know, uh, it isn't really mentioned at all um, because most of the lyrical ideas were from before COVID happened. So, you know, he said, I think I think I'd I'd really like to take a bit of time to talk about this and see and, you know, how it's affected people. and um, and eventually, you know, Neil went away for a while and I was busy working on stuff and I was putting ideas down and bits and pieces. But Reiner was really coming on with, with what he was doing. He was layering lots of guitars and putting bass pedals and things on and it was really building up. Um, and Neil came back and said, I've been, he said, I've been away for this for a while. And I think, he said, well, I've come up with a different approach. He said, and I see see what you guys think. And he he headed the email. Am I crazy? And he sent through what he'd done was he he'd done a, a a very different kind of approach and edited it differently. And he made it shorter, but not just that. He'd taken a few bits out and and moved a couple of things. Like there, there was a theme of mine, which on forevermore um, only happened at the end of the album. And I remember at the time when we were, we were, we were working on it, Neil was saying, oh, it's weird that this theme is only featured at the end of the album. That, that, that seems odd. And what he'd done is he'd done a little demo of what, where he thought the theme, the theme should go in the overture and, um, and worked it up. And, and a few other things as well he'd changed. He'd written a new piece of music called um, Can You Feel It? Um, and um, Added that. Which was... Which was which was new to the whole the whole thing. So uh, we set about sort of doing some re-recording and and um, jigging stuff about, and and at that point we really had two two different ideas or, or two different approaches 
that we could either go with one or the other. It's like, well, what do we do? Do we vote for one or do we vote for the other one? And um, of course, being a four piece, it's tricky when you get to decisions like that. <laughs> yeah, the, de- the democracy you, you, splits 50 50. Yeah, <laughs> you end up with a two way split, exactly. So um, Mike came up with the idea that we shouldn't make that decision. We should just go with two versions of the album. He said, this is a, you know, this is like a big thing and. You know, if we do it right, it could be amazing. You know, I got to say, as a fan uh, of music in general, I would love if my bands do that. I mean, can you imagine for me if, you know, Van Halen puts out two versions of of, 1984 or or Alice Cooper? Because I've heard, you know, the demo version or the alternate version, and sometimes they're just as good or better. and, And instead of making a decision... Now the fans just go, hey, I got it all. So, so, so this yeah, is exactly. great. Yeah, and eventually, you know, I mean, I think eventually people will end up getting it all anyway, like you say. I mean, like, oh, you I, I'm a completist. Beatles I'm a complete completist. Well. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm... I think a lot of frog heads are, aren't they? I mean, I certainly <laughs> was when I was a kid. The more yeah. I could get hold of, the, the, you know, I loved it. You know, Lizard, I... So that's basically what we did because we had ideas, we had different approaches going on, you know, lyrically, musically. And melody-wise, um, and we were in a situation where we really could, at that point, when we decided, yeah, we're going to have the two versions, we could really make them different. You know, the mixes were done separately, although all the mixing was done by Rich Mauser, who's mixed every Transatlantic album, and he does an amazing job. I mean, he really digs in, and he loves the stuff, you know, and you can tell he's a real, he's a music lover and a lover of, you know, people playing as well, and uh, well, he really me, did a fantastic job. Let me ask you this: just about about the sort of the two versions. If yeah. and when the time comes that you get to perform it live, which one do you choose? Do, do you do you sort of switch it up per night? Do you sort of go ah, version A is better than version B? Do you go let's do a little transatlantic fest and we'll do one night album one and one night version two, and fans will come to both and love it like. I, how do you? Yeah, well, there's all kinds of options, aren't there? There's um, at the moment the um, I know Mike is opting. Mike is kind of uh, pushing for us to do the version on the Blu-ray, which I haven't come to yet. But on the Blu-ray, there's a 5.1 mix, and that is kind of like Mike's favourite moments of both versions. So, and that runs at a hundred minutes. So you've got Neil's. You've got the Breath of Life, which is sixty minutes, yeah. and has very different music in various parts and places. To Forevermore, which was the, is the extended version, and that runs at about ninety minutes. Yeah, and then a hundred minutes is the five point one Blu-ray, which also has a visualizer kind of video that runs along the whole of it as well. And from and we've taken people have probably seen the trailers for the songs and that's the kind of it's a kind of it's a what is it it's it's slightly it's a, it's slightly in a cartoon um, um, magical uh, not magical but yellow submarine kind of vibe to it in I love places. it 
Well, and, um, let yeah. me ask you about this because I'm just looking at the at the description. You've got the 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 CD digipack, the the gatefold LPs. You've got the uh, the three LP two CD box set. You've got the uh, clear, the Blu-ray box set, the sixteen page book the booklet. The, as somebody who is a longtime rock fan, I believe you need to own music. This whole idea of I'm just going to go click a button is nice, I think, to preview something. But I don't think, you know, if, if you can't see behind me right now, but I, I've got a, a pile of CDs up basically up to the ceiling. Um, I think that what the band has done here, you've made it really exciting and almost impossible for anybody to go enjoy this on Spotify. They're going to have to have that book. How important is that to, to, to have something to give the fans and say, yeah, you know what, Spotify's cute, but you got to touch this booklet. You got to have the 16 pages. You you got to have the physical to get the whole thing. I think, yeah. I mean, I think you just miss so much of the experience that I had when I was growing up. Absolutely. It was all records. It was gatefolds. It was, you know, and I would sit up there. I would sit up, you know, I'd put a record on at night and I would sit up in my room. And, and I'd, I'd stare at that. Read mm -hmm. all the lyrics and read yes. all of the information. I knew who played what on every album. I, I knew who made the tea. No, you know? Let me rephrase <laughs> that. You, you knew who the record involved. company wanted you to know who played on those records. There's a lot of those ghost musicians. But... Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. There's a lot of that. No, but, it, but it is part of the experience, of though. For an awful lot of people. Yes. Before right. I became a singer. Yeah, but but it, it is part of the experience, though. I mean, you know, holding sure. it and, and doing the lyrics and... And I just love the fact that you made this very, very sort of fan friendly, and um, I, I think that's a great approach. And 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 I just here, I'll, I'll just extend it into Marillion for a second. You've always been very fan friendly. Uh, yeah. You did the crowdfunding in the early days where you said, "Hey, we're all in this together." I mean, way before any other band ever thought of it. Yeah, yeah, we actually did invent crowdfunding. Although yeah. it kind of came, it came to us um, earlier on. Um, but we just embraced it. Well, and, it and all then, started. And you do the those fan thing. festivals. I mean, how, how? This is going to be a really silly question, but how important is the fan in the process of this band and to treat them with respect? Because sometimes, sometimes I find that bands just go, "We're the band, come to the mountain," and I don't get that from Transatlantic. I don't get that from any band that Portnoy's in or yourself. How important oh, is the, the fan? Fans are huge. I mean, the fans mean everything to to. To, I, I mean, I think in progressive music, probably more so than mainstream commercial music, whatever that is anymore, I don't even know. Um, you know, the fans are everything because without them, there's, there's very limited, um, you know, there's a, it's very limited what you can do. And, you know, the, to, to get a record company to... to to um you know to embrace what you do um you they need to they need to be able to rely on the fact that you've got a fan base to an extent but that's that's not it the fans really i mean we found with marillion that the more you and, and transatlantic as well the more you embrace the fans and and you know it, it just becomes a, a much bigger thing yeah, you know, yeah. You invest amazing. in them, and they invest in you, which is yeah, what exactly. it's supposed to be. It's huge, and there's a huge amount of faith, you know. Especially when pre people are pre-ordering, you know, albums these days. 
there's a huge amount of faith just because they don't know what they're getting when they hit that button. And some of this stuff, you know, I mean, you get beautiful packaging, but beautiful packaging doesn't always come cheap. No, it doesn't. You know, Listen, I, I've got and, stuff and from so, Thunder you know, and FM pre-ordered into April, so I'm all about it. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think a lot of people are, and a lot of people, you know, that can afford that. It's great uh, that they can, and it's great that they do. I mean, there's a because, you know, if you think about how music is so important in our lives, it really is. I mean, massively. You know, there's a whole thing at the moment in Europe and in particularly in England where artists and um oh artists in europe are getting beaten down just, you, that well, new streaming getting, what was that new yeah. streaming the, the, the tax they want to put or whatever performance uh, fee and it's just like really you're gonna you're gonna tax somebody who's doing a stream well, like like bugger off <laughs> well there's there, there's a there, 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 yeah there's two schools of thought with that basically it's it's a prs license now what the prs license allows you to do or what that allows for the songwriter is that when somebody does a concert wherever it is and if they get paid for it um then they have to buy the license and then the songwriters get paid eventually ah, see that's left it, out that's left out of the media the, the little media yeah, blast that you so, read in the guardian or whatever there's an awful lot yeah there's an awful lot of um issues because uh, during this pandemic all of a sudden, a whole swathe of people can't work, and they've just they've just gone from having incomes and a schedule of, of of a year's work to nothing overnight, and they're not being supported by the government in the UK. Um, well, well, they're not being supported so by that, governments around the world. Listen, I, yeah. I was talking to somebody this morning who was a roadie, and she's female, and yeah. she's had to open up an OnlyFans. One of those, you know, show me your booby kind of things, and and it's just like, wow, that's incredible that 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 you're going to have to lose your house if you don't do this because there's no place for you to go practice your trade, and it's yeah. I mean, you, I mean, it's it, they're, they're not just like you know, people just lugging stuff around. These are these are highly professional, technical people. You know, they're 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 technicians. They work on computerized equipment be it lights be it sound it's all com it's all computerized these days and, and they make a difference and, and if you, you have a shitty have road crew you have a shitty show <laughs> yeah they have to know how to set it up how to fix it how to make it work every night so everything's great you know there's a lot of money invested in all of that stuff and buses and trucks and they're, they're, they're all kind of missing out but we're we're, we're getting away from yeah we're getting away let me, let me get back to transatlantic here yeah on average you know, if if you sort of work it out, an album comes out every seven, eight years on average. I mean, the first the first two were were a year apart. How do you know, or how do you decide that now's the time for Transatlantic? And because, I mean, yes, you have your schedule, and then it's Sons of Apollo and Dream Theater, or used to be Dream Theater. Uh, but but other than sort of scheduling, how do you sort of say, yeah, now now now's the time for this? Um. Yeah. Yeah, how do, how do we do it? I don't really know. Um, we just we just get together and talk about it, and sometimes it feels right, and sometimes it kind of doesn't. And a lot of it is down to schedules. You know, it really is. I mean, we were talking for about three years before this album was able to get itself together. You know, we actually what we actually did we we kind of 
you know, we did the, we did a couple of crews to the edges and did bits and pieces on them. Um, and all our, you know, respective bands were on on the cruises. So we, we, we got to talking about, well, do we want to do another transatlantic album? And the answer was yes. But it took us another two years before we could find a date. So we just we just punched. It's like everybody had full calendars for like 18 months. So we said, look, 2019, middle of 2019, no one's got anything in their calendar. So let's go there and see whereabouts within that six month time frame we can we can work. And it, it ended up being September. And um, so that's what we did. And of course, at the time, we all thought we'd take the record away, work on it frantically with a release date. And everybody around doing the touring and the recording they're doing with other bands would find time to, to do a tour. But that because that all went out the window and we were all in lockdown, I think that allowed us to kind of fiddle with it and work on it. And it's the longest we've ever worked on anything. I mean, most of the time, Transatlantic's lucky if it gets five to ten, ten days is a luxury for Transatlantic. So to have all this time to discuss things and come up with strategies and you know really make the music what it is and everyone's playing out of their skin on this album yeah listen i've had a chance to hear it sounds great it's just really is a tremendous effort and um it's a huge project i mean i think we're all all i'm really proud with it i'm really well you should be it's it sounds great let me let me ask you this in terms of you you you're in marillion you've done the edison's children you've done transatlantic um, I've done Kino as well. Actually, yeah, John a- absolutely. And John Beck from It Bites, if you ever got around to listen to them. Yes, I did. Uh, the Kino is, is and uh, uh, there was another couple there. But uh, let me just ask you, how, how, how do you, like, what, what kind of thrill do you get from being in these different bands? And, and maybe that's not the right way to phrase it, but what does each band bring to you? Because it's is it exactly the same kick? You're just playing, you're playing, the, playing and that's it? Or do they bring something different musically? Uh, how do you yeah. sort of... Yeah, there's different skills with each one right. in, a, in, a, in a strange kind of way. Um, I mean, I guess Kino... Well, Transatlantic is unique because it's a real... It's kind of like... Um, I mean, when I'm thinking of live now. When we go out live, it's like a show band in a strange kind of way. You know, we're all playing... You know, we're all playing to kind of be, you know noticed right and, and a lot of the music is fast and furious so it, it suits that kind of thing it's a it's a it's a it's a full-on show it's a long show normally as well a very long show do it but and, you know there's a lot of artistry and there's a lot of you know musicianship thing going on um and, and everybody has to be on their toes as well actually with transatlantic i mean that's the thing do and you really um to, it's work i mean there's a lot of work involved for me because you don't have a, a second to think. Everything just has to be at your fingertips. Whereas in a lot of the other stuff I do, there's a bit more time involved. Right. But do you uh, do you adjust your playing for each band, or or Pete plays Pete? Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, I think so. I think there's an element, there's a core element of what I do in everything I do. You know, and I, I tend to be melodic. I'm a melodic player. I grew up listening to McCartney and you know, a few other people. He was my first kind of bass hero. And if you let, you know, those Beatles albums, the, the bass playing, considering what 
a lot of players were doing at the time. I mean, it was it was tremendous stuff. And then I then I very quickly got on to um, bands like Caravan. Actually, I really got into Caravan. And then yes, and Genesis and and uh, Camel. I used to I used to go and see Camel live quite a lot at one point. And wow. um, and then I got I got into Todd Rundgren actually and Utopia as well and Kazem Sultan. Kazim, he's a man. By the Kazim, way, talk, yeah, Kazim, yeah, sorry. I know we're not here to talk about Todd, but he, he's doing something oh. this month in February that's fascinating. He's doing a virtual tour where he is going to do a different show each in each city, but it they're all virtual. So, but he's got oh, an actual cool. he's got an actually you know twenty five dates, and it's like you know tonight is Buffalo tonight. It's the most. Uh, I don't even know. I mean, it's either bizarre or it's pure genius, but it's just fascinating. Well, he's a creative guy, isn't he? I mean, he does yeah. think out of the, he thinks out of the box. He always did, you know. He, um, yeah. Um, yeah. We oh. were. I was. We were lucky enough with Marillion to support Todd Rundgren, actually, or uh, Todd Rundgren and Utopia when um, round about the bang the drum time. Yeah, long time and, ago. Uh, it was, it was awesome, you know. Being back off because we'd do our little show and then we'd all sit back and just be watching. And there'd be, you know, stuff from Ra and ah, oh, the playing, the playing and the sound. Obviously, the sound was pretty good because Todd was kind of all over that. So, yeah. Yeah. Let me let me just ask you quickly about the album again, uh, The Absolute Universe. Yes. Sorry, when sorry, you're making yeah. when you're making new music, do you think at all about how it has to be commercially successful? I mean. There are there are artists that write singles for the radio, and you know, yes, Marillion had one of the greatest singles ever, but but I don't see you as being a radio band per se. So so, what makes it successful? And do you do you say okay, a prog album needs these elements? Let's. How do you approach it, or you just go, we do what we do. I do, pretty much yeah, pretty much it's we do what we do. I mean, it's interesting. It's a funny old thing, transatlantic because. With the experience that we have, I mean, we all have a lot of experience writing and recording, but the, also the experiences we have with each other, because we've toured a lot, we've made a lot of albums together now, and it's crucially, I think it's the touring side of it, you know, because when you're on stage together, you've, you've sometimes you really have to work for a song to come across to an audience, and you have to find what it is the audience wants out of the song. You know, and that can sometimes be different things from night to night. It's it, especially when you're going through different countries and different continents. They want a different experience to the they might want a different thing in Belgium to what they want in Baltimore. You know, they're, they're a different. Well, we, we know what we want. To, we know what we want in Montreal. We want our Marillion weekends, which are. Yeah, I know. Always yeah, an event. So, so that all comes to play when we kind of thinking about writing and recording. But. But, but you know there's nothing like the it's just it's weird we have the sound we've kind of got a, a, a transatlantic sound and we've even got a transatlantic identity as well but when we just i mean this time in the studio it, it was a lot of fun and it was quite light-hearted to start with but you know once we once we say okay we're gonna let's work on this five minutes of music and we'll we'll do we'll do this theme and then we'll go into this verse and we'll go into this chorus so we might be doing like a verse of, you know, a theme of Reuners into a verse of kind of of mine that Neil would sing on because he's got some lyrics to go with it. And uh, 
and then a, a chorus of meals and we just start playing it and it just sounds like transatlantic it's like it does the four of us make that sound let me um you know let, and let it's me almost like well we know what to do without somebody telling you like, yeah. No, but make it more transatlantic. We <laughs> but we can't make it any less. Is the truth. But let, let, let me wrap up with these two questions here. In terms sure. of, um, it sounded to me like you were you you were very creative this time out. You've got two versions of the album, and there's all kinds of this should go here and that should go there. Do you see yourself maybe releasing an album in a shorter time span, whereas maybe in 2022, 2023, we're talking again, just because. It's been such a productive, you know, whatever, 12 months, or is it still, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll get back to this in six, seven years. We always do these because it just sounds to me like the band was in a zone. You, you seem to have it been was. super creative. It was in a zone. Yeah. Um, I, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I could sit here and say one thing and something else might, might happen completely, but I would, I would suspect not. I would suspect, I think, I think, from a practical point of view and a commercial point of view, I think as soon as it, we're able to have concerts again, there's going to be hundreds of concerts that had to be cancelled, some of which we were involved in, I'm sure, as, as members of other bands, where they're just all, all of that's going to have to be honoured, as well as every band that's on the planet is going to want to go back out and tour because they've they spent a year yeah. not doing it. which by the and way I, in I, itself quite often coming up being very productive musically without the touring actually yes uh, but uh, some fascinating covers and some fascinating kind of combinations of people working together oh it really is and i was just going to say the, the the whole idea of everybody being on tour at the same time sounds great okay. but it also might be a disaster in the sense that yeah. there's going to be too many bands competing for the fans dollar and yeah. they're no, talking well, about 80% of the venues closing. And it's like, oh, boy, it's going to be. I know it's going to be hard to find where the where, you know, find venues, I think. Yeah. And it's, and it's also and the worst thing about it. And I really hope it doesn't happen is that usually when venues have to close and, you know, really stuff that's been run by people who just love what they do and love music. The you know the big corporate body comes along and says, "Oh, we can we can open this and we can find we can find a way to make money out of this," and then it suddenly goes the way of all the other. Yep, it goes real sterile. Buildings like all the Clear Channel stuff, and we have companies in the UK and in Europe that do the same thing, and they kind of sanitize it all, and they make it too expensive for bands to make any profit as well. Because there's a tax on this and a tax on that, and you can't, you know. <laughs> oh, if you want to tip, take pictures, that's more, and if you want to make a film, that's even more. And if you want to sell T-shirts? Oh, you'll have to give us fifty percent of that. Yeah, all of that kind of stuff goes on. Oh, oh, I know. Fans shouldn't be worried about all of that because they should be just there to enjoy themselves. But we'll have to. We'll have. Yeah, we'll. First off, well, we'll have to see how many venues are open and how many bands can actually find one. Yeah, and 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 by the way, there are, will there be promoters that have money to pay the fees or the, the 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 guarantees and stuff? Because a lot of the promoters have, you know, they've had a year and a yeah. half of of zero. Yeah, they have, <laughs> and of course, there's you know, there's been lots of deferrals. I'm sure Rob, I know that in the UK, and I'm sure governments around the world have been said, oh well, you know, landlords can't charge rent at the moment because properties aren't making any money, but. It, 
but they they're all going to want their money back as soon as there's a cup you know there's a few dollars in an account they'd be like oh that's ours first actually i think you'll find <laughs> oh, oh it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, anyway we'll see yeah we'll no, we'll, we'll cross that bridge it, we'll we'll cross that that transatlantic trans transatlantic bridge when we get to it but uh yeah let, yeah, let me just sure. finish on this here uh and you've been asked about this a million times i know but but the single kaylee um was that an unexpected thing that it sort of blew up and became number one in poland and number two in the uk and uh, yeah. Because Marillion yeah, wasn't meant to be a radio band. It, 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 no, yeah. no, we never, we never were. We never saw ourselves as a radio band. And it, and I think at the, I, mean, I think EMI didn't know what to do with us. EMI signed us because we were like playing Reading Festival and on the radio and and selling out clubs in London. You know, five we could do four or five nights at the Marquee, which was a big deal. Yeah. And they were like. Well, some, you know, and it was two or three record labels just thinking, what well, is an audience? You know, someone can someone can sell something to that audience um, if they. If, so we, we ended up on EMI and um, and for the first, you know, the first album was quite successful. It sold what they hoped. I, I think it oversold the second album. Not so. And the third album, Misplaced Heart Childhood, they sent us to Berlin because it was cheap. It was a really cheap studio. And they got Chris Kimsey. Chris yeah. Kimsey had just finished doing sort of like 15 years work with the Rolling Stones. So he was trying to build up his name again. Yeah. With up. So he'd just done Killing Joke in Berlin. And he said, well, I can put, I can, I can do an album for you for this much money delivered. I can deliver you an album. And, um, and so we went to Berlin together, but the writing, the writing of, um, of misplaced was a lot easier than writing for Fugazi because it's the first time Fugazi was really the first time we had to write an album because you know when as bands develop over the years and band members come and band members go music they end up with like five or six years worth of music that they can pick the best songs for their first album for the second album they've just been on tour and all of a sudden it's like you've got to write another album and they don't know how to do that. And that's why there's always that second second album thing going on. And, and with the third album, we'd worked out how to do it. We'd le- we'd learn, you know, what we were comfortable working on and how we were comfortable working. And um, yeah, Katie was just it was just a part of a whole thing. Misplaced Childhood was a was a was a um, it was a what you call it concept really. It was a concept album um, around about the same time as punk. So everyone was scratching their heads and going, what's going on here? And EMI were like, what have you delivered? Well, because it, it was it was and, fascinating, and, and you know, Chris because he said, look, he said, let me go back with Kaylee. I can make this into a single for you. So he did. He kind of edited it in such a way. It's not a classic. It's not a classic song. Well, it no, but it's, it was verse, fascinating because I chorus and a key change. Yeah. No, because I, I remember, you know, you, you would look at TV back then, much music in Canada, MTV in the States, and, you, you know, English Beat and Bananarama and, and Madonna and, and you know, the early metal stuff, Scorpions Rock You Like a Hurricane. And then the video for Kaylee would come on and you'd go, oh, well, that's a change. And yet it worked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? It, it, was, it was weird as well because we were on all of these different festivals. And then we were, like, featured in Kerrang! as well because... 
EMI had kind of put us under the, well, this, this band's not a pop band, so it must be a rock band. So they kind of marketed us like Iron Maiden because they yeah. knew how to market Iron Maiden. So it's like, we'll give you a logo and we'll give you a, well, you've got a jester. So that's your dude, you know, and that's how we were marketed. And so Kerrang! and all of these heavy metal kind of uh, magazines were had us on the front cover and stuff. And so we would be playing on these festivals and there'd be all of these rock, you know, heavy bands and a rock band. And then in the middle of the middle of the afternoon, there'd be there'd be us. And we were like much more, you know, yeah, much more progressive, much more like. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it's just amazing that the. the, the the definition of heavy metal back in the 80s you, you you know you went from poison to jethro tull to <laughs> oh i know yeah there was a lot of it and, it and in fact i mean a lot of the rock music and the early metal music came from blues really more than anything else yeah it's just heavier yeah, blues or... and that was deep purple really deep purple and and um black sabbath black really sabbath. kind of created that kind of sound yeah, it's it's just funny to think that, you know, for, for a period there, people were like, Marillion's heavy metal. And it's like, no, I really don't think so. Quite no, I know, I know. It's like, <laughs> we're really not. But, but then I just thought of us, you know, it's funny because we had those moments. I've always wondered how progressive we are as well, because we have those moments. But we also, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bits that are a kind of like, you know, a nod to um, Led Zeppelin as well. When Led Zeppelin were a more, you know, acoustic or more laid back than the, than the, you know, than the heavy stuff they did. Well, listen, it all worked out anyway. The Absolute Universe yeah. uh, out February fifth, so uh, coming up in a couple of days. Uh, Peter, yeah. uh, absolute pleasure, and uh, let's hope that you get back to Montreal. Uh, the city loves you. The Marillion Fest oh, is we, always we fascinating. We and we had a whole. We had a whole plan, which we've had to tear down and try and rebuild and then tear down again. So we're, we're, it's on the cards. Montreal is on the cards. When we do it, it's kind of a, a lap of the gods, isn't it? Yeah, well, right now we're under full lockdown with a curfew. We have to be in bed or we have to be at home by 8 o'clock at night. So, yeah, <sighs> well, we're, on a, we're on a lockdown and, um, and certain areas of the country the police will arrest you. Oh, here they'll like, fine you. 1500 bucks. Yeah. So there you go. Stay home. Wow. <laughs> but stay hey, home. listen, it's February in Montreal. So eight o'clock at night, probably a good time to stay home. It's dark and minus yeah, 20. It is. It's, getting, it's pretty, still pretty cold up there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was minus 16 yesterday. So you know what? I don't need to be walking around at nine o'clock at night at minus 16 in February. No, you don't. Lockdown in July. I might have a problem. February, meh, it's fine. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, exactly. sir. Great pleasure hey, Mitch, today. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Absolutely. And let's do it again when, when whatever comes out, whether it's Edison's Children, whether it's uh, Kino, whether it's Transatlantic. Let's, yeah, let's, let's stay in touch should. and do some more. I will. I will. Merci bien. Take care, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers.